Welcome back to the Mindsets Podcast. This is episode six. Uh, I'm joined here with Josh Hunt. Um, I don't like to do massive introductions of the other person because I feel like that's unjust. Um, plus, I haven't seen you in a few years. It's been years. So uh, do you want to give everyone a little bit of an introduction to yourself? Start from young and then we can kind of go from there. Yeah, sure. Um, like Angus said, my name's Josh. Um, we met originally in school from year seven yeah year seven because we joined in secondary school together um we're friends through i'd say more like the second yeah kind of towards of the it. back end more like year form. like yeah year 10 yeah, yeah. 11 definitely sixth form because we played sports together and that was our friendship group at that point in time yeah um before that i think even through school it's quite a quiet kid mm-hmm. didn't really come out of my shell much um for reasons that we'll talk about later um, for information that I found out about myself when I was in sixth form. Mm-hmm. Um, so I kind of kept myself to myself and yeah, just. So after, after sixth form, what have you been up to? I haven't, I haven't seen you. This is like genuinely for everyone listening. This is kind of our catch up as well. Yeah, it is. Um, to be honest with you, dust around for a few years. Yeah. A fair few years. Yeah. Yeah. Just kind of got yourself into work and into job and adulting. Yeah. So I originally went back and did a second year of sixth form to retake, um, media studies because I didn't get the grades that I wanted um long story short I never turned up to the exam okay I just created friends in the year below and just started going out loads oh yeah um worked in various small jobs that never really amounted to anything um struggled with drinking going out quite a lot Mm -hmm. and yeah eventually got into more of a career going into car sales which ended up coming to an end back in May last May last year, um, due to just bad mental health battles. Um, went into a rehabilitation centre, and then now have a business running with my brother, oh, which nice. was started up in May, I think. Oh, sweet! A May time, so. Okay, so wow. Okay, there's there's going to be a lot to cover here. This is yeah. exciting. <laughs> um, right, so. Let's go back then. So you were a quiet kid in school. Yeah. But you said that you, you got some news later on. Yeah. And we'll get to that. But at the time being the quiet kid, did you have any idea what was going on? No. Why you were being quiet? Like, no. Did, was there any element of it you that didn't want to or you felt like you were restricted? Did you struggle with that? I think it was more like, it was definitely more an anxiety thing. I mm-hmm. mean, I may have come out of my shell to certain people, but I'd never really be a leader in a group as such. I'd always just be kind of sat in the back and just go with the flow of what goes on due to massive anxieties and not knowing how I felt in myself. Mm-hmm. That would be with friendship groups. If I'm meeting new people, I'm extremely socially awkward. Right. Um, even in classes, I'd never, as an example, I'd never put my hand up to answer a question. I'd always just get, if I was to answer anything, I'd be picked on to answer it. Right. And I'd know the answer. Was it, was it just, was it fear of stumbling on your own words or, or like embarrassment of other people listening or, or if you got it wrong? Or was it just that you just didn't like publicly speaking? For I think it's reason? not so much that I get it wrong because most of the time I got it right. But I think it's just a fear of speaking out right publicly okay. or in front of people as such. Which now I do quite a lot. Yeah. Obviously, with some of the talks that I do, but at that point in time, when you're trying to figure out what's what was going on with you and why you couldn't do it, and looking at teacher reports of me when I was younger as well, no one said that I came. All of the teachers would say the same thing. First report, quiet kid doesn't really speak up much by the time the second report came around about 
what was it, like January, February time maybe, or like mm-hmm. halfway through the year, they would say, Josh has come out of the shells, so-and-so, and I'd get a bit more praise on it from that, and my scores would be high because I was interacting more, but it didn't really reflect how I was. Outside of school, did you find that you were more comfortable or you did come out of your shell more in different areas, and was it sc- the school atmosphere that you kind of held back in? No, football, I came out of my shell because yeah. I could be who I wanted to be on the pitch. Okay. That was it. Did you find that that, because obviously people, when they do sport, have that sort of sport high for a little bit afterwards. Did you find that it carried over into life after sport or was it just really when you're on that pitch you could feel free? I only really when I'm on the pitch. Okay. It didn't really come in after because I go on the pitch, run around and you're taught from a young age, aren't you? Shout. Especially playing football, yeah, shout. Like communicate, don't, put your name don't on Don't stop it. talking, don't shut up. Yeah. And so kind of left from that and then by the time I came off I was so mentally drained from what I'd just done for an hour. Especially that, if you're not used to it. Yeah, exactly. That I just didn't really, it didn't really carry on. And even outside of football, I spent most of the time probably in my room mm-hmm. or out at a skate park. But even that was kind of just a social yeah. thing in itself. And I wouldn't really be talking much down there. That's the way that I look back at it. Some people may have something different to say about it because they may have a different memory. Sure. But all of that, I still feel like I was putting on the front to be someone that I wasn't and not feel noticed but be like oh I am still I am still here yeah okay so then let's move more down the timeline towards you were getting this news um what made you feel like you needed to go and talk to someone curiosity mm-hmm. so I was sat in a business studies lesson with Mr Edwards and I'd do something where I'd zone out I wouldn't pay attention. And he turned around to me and said, what's wrong with you if you're ADHD or something? I kind of sat there and I was like, there's no harm getting checked out from this. Yeah. So I went home, I was a bit quiet for a few days and my mum turned around to me and eventually said, what's wrong? And I said, oh, just an off-the-cuff comment by a teacher. And obviously, when you say an off-the-cuff comment by a teacher to your parents, they want to... sounds really bad. Yeah, yeah, they want to know what you said. They want to know what the teacher said. So told them and then we went to go get myself checked out and I score severely highly in ADD right which is why my ADHD was never really picked up because I wasn't disruptive so what's what's the difference between ADD and ADHD ADHD is attention deficit hyperactivity disorder and ADD is attention deficit disorder okay so I don't get the hyperactivity of running around wanting to be in the middle of every conversation like controlling the conversations Mm -hmm. the most mine will go to is flicking my fingers, twirling a ring, right. or shaking my leg. Okay. That's it. I mean, once I get talking, I could talk for Britain. But okay. it's actually getting into that. And that's only when I'm really comfortable with someone that, yeah. I, that I get to that stage. Yeah. But yeah, that's quite, and then it kind of summed up how I felt because I started to learn more about it, more about myself and kind of the struggles that, that do come with it. And it's a massive part of maybe why I didn't perform well in social environments, why I didn't perform well even in a school environment, I didn't do badly, mm. but the concentration on what I wanted to do wasn't there unless I was interested in it. Mm-hmm. So even, okay, I'll go back to school and previous job. In a previous job, when I had to sit down and write emails, I didn't want to do that, so I couldn't do it. Mm-hmm. But when I'm actually out there talking to someone trying to sell a car, it's easy for me because I'm having a so conversation. I'm it's natural. I'm, in. I'm doing something. It's the same with school subjects. When you were doing something for one term, yeah, I may have done really well in one of the terms, but not well in the re- in the other one right. because I wasn't interested in that subject. And if I didn't okay. have a, an interest in it, I just zoned out of it. Yeah, so I'm like, oh, this isn't what I want. So when they um they kind of obviously diagnose you with ADD, ADHD, yeah, 
what what was the next step from there was it to give you some drugs was it to give you some sort of person to talk to about it you would have hoped it would be someone to talk to about it okay. but it's not they just stick you straight on drugs would you have preferred just to have someone to talk to about it yeah because i think i had more going on at that point than just okay. what was the a the add for me but i mean i'm not can't lie the drugs worked yeah what drugs were they um ritalin so methylphenidate right so you take it but the only trouble i found with them was i get locked into doing something for four and a half hours mm-hmm. and then if i got locked into doing the thing that i didn't really want to be doing yeah then i'm stuck doing it for so when uh, I'll, I'll freely admit to this when i was at university um i don't know if you've heard about this people at university call them study drugs yeah so uh i had a maths exam that i was definitely not prepared enough for and so a friend had loads of modafinil yeah which i don't study actually drug. yeah yeah so uh, I, I took some modafinil and i had a i had a really good revision session and from my own experience and this will be interesting to hear how um ritalin works for you it didn't necessarily make uh it wasn't like the film limitless if you've seen that it wasn't yeah. like it unlocked parts of my brain or anything like that but what it felt like was i was just super focused and i got loads of work done for the given time period but let's say i did a a set of maths questions what i should have done in three hours i did far more than that than i normally would have done. 100 percent. but at the same time time didn't really go quicker in that way so it it still felt like i'd done three hours but i had been far more productive in that time um and as a result of that i was able to get more work done in that time yeah um but you're right it's kind of i did find it weird that there wasn't even I wasn't interested in touching my phone or anything like that or getting up. Like I just sat there. I don't even think I went to the bathroom. Probably not. At any point. Um, so yeah, is that the same sort of impact you felt it had for you? No, because, okay. but I know that impact because people that didn't have ADD or ADHD that took it yeah. will say the same thing. Okay. But I can, I can relate it to the same as a coffee. If I have a coffee, I feel tired. Really? Because it evens, it evens my brain out. I see. So when I was taking the written, if I was taking one of them, which I sometimes did take more, mm-hmm. if I was taking one of them, that would be it. that would just be levelled. Maybe the dosage was wrong or anything, but that's what it did to me. It just allowed me to stay an all right level of focus, but not super focused. Mm-hmm. But then you get to taking like because they changed they changed my dosage so much because obviously I started taking it at seventeen, I think, mm-hmm. and then. They went from one dosage all the way up to about 85, which is extremely high. Mm-hmm. Well, for me, it was extremely high because I didn't like the feeling of it. And then so whenever I was doing that, I just, just kind of jump in and out of it. And I never really found some like a perfect place to settle. I was either, well, that's not enough or, well, that's too much. Did you find that the more that you'd been taking, for, so for the longer that you'd been taking it, you kind of built up some level of tolerance to it? Oh, 100%. Okay. 100%. And then that's, a, that's another difficulty in itself because you get warned. You got warned going on to it that they can be addictive right so that's where other troubles came in because then i'd be like okay so take it and then i go out day drinking i'm like i can drink so much more when i take these tablets and i don't feel sick how come i don't know i've got no idea on the scientific but like way behind it but then i take it in an evening before i was going out okay so i could drink a lot more than i usually would i'd still be a lot more level-headed yeah rather than having a head spin and feeling sick after a few I see. So then you said you retook your second year of sixth form and then ended up not turning up to the exam, which yeah. I imagine you probably didn't score the best in that. 
Um, no, but, uh, not at all. But through that year, you ended up going out a lot more than you had been previously or just with a different group? A lot more than what I'd been doing previously. And was it just any time through the week or was it just every weekend? Monday night Guildford. Monday night Guildford. If anyone's been to Monday night Guildford, I mean, from my own personal <laughs> opinion, it's not worth it. It's not worth it. It's not worth it. Uh, Wednesday night five and lime. That was yeah. that used to be Five kind. That Guildford used to be kind of worth it, yeah. and then a Friday and Saturday because the people that I was hanging around with then, I'm still good friends with loads of them now, mm. but they were turning eighteen at that point, right? So they wanted to go out constantly, and then everyone else, you, my friendship group at the time, had gone off to uni, and I thought that they were going out every weekend, right? And they they were out, and I was like, well, if they're doing it, but they're at uni, mm. yeah, yeah, I meant to be like. Working. Working. Yeah. I mean, because I didn't never want it to go to uni. So did you have any other outlet at the same time? Or was going out the only other thing you did, socialising or getting rid of that sort of working energy? That was it. That because was it. Okay. after we stopped playing at Horsley, on that mm. final year of under 18s. Under 18s was the oldest. Under yeah. 18s. And they're like, okay, we've well, got to go to a men's team now. And I was right. like, where do I find a men's team? Well, I just don't want, don't want to go rock up and play football with a load of men. Yeah. Because that's the way I thought of it. I didn't think for playing with like, 22, 23 year olds. Mm. And so I didn't get back into football for until what, six years after that. Right. So quite, 20, a, quite a big gap. 24, I started playing again. Um, do fives held occasionally. But that was my that was my only outlet at the time was going out and enjoying myself. Yeah. Worked in a hotel at that point. That's actually funny enough. So worked in there and then you'd work till 11 at night and then you'd have a drink with the people. Mm-hmm the people that lived in the hotel because yeah. they were all Canadians. So yeah, they, so they yeah. stayed in and they always wanted to go out and do something. So I ended up spending a lot of time with them mm-hmm. and they just wanted to go out all the time. I never did anything, I'd say for myself to look after myself. Mm-hmm. It was always just, well, it looks like everyone's doing this. Yeah. So why aren't I going to do it? So when you were going out, obviously if let's say it's the, it's the third or fourth session of the week. Yeah. I mean, if we're thinking about this being every week, it it does add up. It's not like it's a fresh week or you've had a week off. It's a lot. How how thinking going into that night? Were you actively excited for it, or was it like uh, I'm just going to go do this because this is what I do? You go into it thinking this is what I do, but then you have three beers, four beers, and you kind of get excited for it. Mm-hmm. And then I get out there, get into the club or wherever I was, the bar, and I'd be stood there. I'm like, what am I doing? Yeah. And then, so I was kind of stuck in a way of, stuck in a way of that. Yeah. Essentially, it was damaging for myself. Mm-hmm. And sort of the next day, did it wipe wipe you out the next day from being productive to a degree as well? No. Just sort of rinse and repeat. Rinse and repeat. Take would it would you find that you use the ADHD drugs to help you get through a hangover or anything? Probably. The answer is right. probably. Because I can't, I can't remember taking it back then, but I know I definitely was. So that's when I was working in the hotel. So go out, and then I'd come in, and then I'd be in from 10 till 3. Mm-hmm. I'd do a split, and then I'd go in from 3 to 6, I'd sleep. Right. And then I'd get back in, and then do 6 till finish, which was 11, or 6, no, 6 till close, which was 11, or 6 till finish, which is whenever the last person left the bar, whenever right. there was 10 people left in the bar where the night porter could take over. So some days I was working till 3 in the morning as well. During this time, how was your relationship with your yourself? Awful. Okay. Awful. I didn't have a good relationship with myself, really. I said I exerted a lot of 
my mental energy on drinking, going out, probably sleeping with people as well. Right, okay. Did it, a... did it get worse than drinking at any point through that phase? Yeah. Yeah, but only in a, in a weird way. So I had a relationship with drugs since I was gosh, 14, mm-hmm. 15 maybe. And that's when it started. And that was just like weekend things or festivals or big parties. Sure, yeah, yeah. And then it started going into on a night out. Mm-hmm. But because you're young, you don't really have the money to do it as much back then. Of course, yeah, yeah. That's when I started getting to ketamine because I was like, well, it's cheaper than mm-hmm. anything else out there. And I can go home the next day and kind of feel like nothing's happened. Right. And then it's not till a few years after that that I actually start, I'd say, taking it home. So it was a social drug that went antisocial okay. pretty quickly. Right. So you'd just be on your own? Yeah, I'd never be able to, if I had it and I was out with it, I'd never be able to go home and leave it for the next day. What was the sort of time period from sort of first getting into it and doing it on nights out to it becoming an antisocial thing? How long did was that span? Never took it home all the time that I was in school or sixth form. Maybe like 1920. I'd take it home occasionally and do right. it at home. Mm-hmm. So I could get away with doing it at home. Not for the fact that I wasn't being looked out for, but the nature of the drug meant you wouldn't really know and I'd fall asleep in like half the time. Yeah, exactly. Sort of knock yourself out. Exactly. And then, but I'd still be doing it most of the days I was out on that year off as well. Mm-hmm. So, but that would be, that would be, I was taking coke then. Mm-hmm. So it was, it was a mix of, it was a mix of everything. If I was going out in town, I wouldn't take coke. I'd just take ketamine mm-hmm. then if i was at a party or something then that's when it's coke and that never really came home with me yeah it was only really because i get caught right because obviously came downstairs and mum saw me i had like dinner plates and yeah 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 sweating profusely clenched jaw she'd be like you've taken something mm-hmm. ketamine could kind of get away with it yeah or i look back at it and thought i could kind of get you away probably, with it but you probably weren't oh no chance yeah no chance lazy eye everything mm-hmm. slurring words but if i'd been out drinking then it looked like i'd just come home extremely drunk uh yeah of course until they realized that i wasn't going out drinking at all yeah and i was just staying at home all day and they were like well there's not 10 beer cans by the side of your bed I'm like yeah you're it's right it's got to be something else yeah and that's when the lies come in but no okay. no no i haven't i haven't so you started attempting to cover track i mean you were so you, you just sort of admitted that you were lying to yourself and thinking that you were getting away with it oh yeah 100%. you find that those lies just then passed on to the people that you everyone, everyone everyone i'd lie about what i had for dinner because i wasn't eating i do used to like not eat for two and a half days okay and so mum would come home and be like well what have you eaten today i was like i've eaten a pizza mm-hmm. she's like no you haven't the pizza's still in the in the fridge in the freezer sorry and i was like no i went down the shop and bought one she's like where's the box i'm like i left it in the bin down the road She's like, yeah. do you want me to go check down the road? I thought, like, you can if you want. I just send her on a walk down the road. Yeah. Put a pizza, put a pizza and, box and, in and there. Like now hearing this and, and seeing the way that you're talking about it, it, you're sort of talking about it as if it's ridiculous and it is preposterous to do some it's of those mental. lies. And, but at the it's time... Mental. I thought I was getting away with it. Yeah. And in my head, I believed that I was getting away with it. Mm-hmm. But only since I've taken a step back and looked at it, like, luckily... I put my parents through a lot, but like luckily me and her can look back on it, especially me and my mum, 
Um, I don't really like look back and laugh on it with my dad as much because my mum was the person that dealt with most of it, like mm-hmm. the brunt of it. Um, we look back on it and laugh. Mm-hmm. So it's nice to be able to look back on it and. So how how long did that kind of spiral downwards before something happened? Or what happened? COVID. COVID. COVID happened. I had it. I take it home occasionally. Mm-hmm. And then. I got into a relationship. One thing led to another. Relationship was rocky. And I won't go into that too much because I've got a court case. That's fine. But um, relationship was a bit rocky. And then I ended up having a kid. And the scenario was okay, well, COVID's coming. You can either live with us. Mm-hmm. or and see your kid or you don't live with us and you want to see your kid so I moved in with them for three months um, and then moved back out and then I wasn't just wasn't allowed to see him one thing led to another wasn't allowed to see him so that's when it really started to spiral because I'd always be able to keep myself clean if I was seeing Dexter like even like a week week and a half beforehand mm-hmm. I wouldn't take anything but then I would get to the night before mm-hmm. and be like I don't want you to see him Okay. and then one thing led to another. I imagine that's quite difficult to deal with. Yeah, and then just, and then just spiraled down from that, mm-hmm. and then that's when it became like every day, and we didn't talk for X amount of months because I didn't want to talk to her, she didn't want to talk to me, and we couldn't come to an agreement over. Okay. Over Dexter. So that was going on while lockdown was happening as well. Yeah. So you weren't able to get out of the house anyway, even if you wanted to. No, really. I was stuck. Yeah. I was stuck, and then that's when it really started to take off, and then I went from doing it at home to doing like seven grams a day. Spending a that is fortune. I was gonna say that's got a dent in the pocket, but also the impact of that on your system. Did you ever? I mean, obviously, when you when there's drugs involved, you usually have a come down. Yeah, I never came down. Never came down. Yeah, I never came down. Like, if you walked into my room, you'd look it. It was awful. Like, Did you ever end up having having to go to hospital for any reason? No, nah, paramedics called me f- three or four times to see if I was alive. Yeah. Um, mum would check my pulse every morning because she had this fear that I was just gonna she was gonna wake up and I was gonna be dead mm-hmm. um, nearly nearly lost my bladder really? yeah because ketamine damages the bladder and that's why it attacks mm-hmm. and so it begins as if you've got a urine infection where you need to go to the toilet 40 times a day mm-hmm. 45 times a day and you're just urinating razor blades yeah you can't, you always need the toilet, but you can't go. And so I was like, I've just got a urine infection. I went to the doctors, obviously, did a urine sample, sent it off. There's no problems. There's no problems. Right. Did seven, eight of them. No mm. problems in any of them. Wow. And then so that's when the doctors pretty much turned around to me and said, well, with the nature of the drug, you could potentially lose your bladder. And I was in such a way that I turned around and was like, well, if I lose my bladder, I don't. I'm not going to be in this pain, am I? It wasn't a thing in my head of like... Oh, okay. You it's kind of like a good thing. Yeah, it's, like, it's not like you need to stop. It's, okay, well, if I do I just carry on. I'll have a mm-hmm. bag. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to... It's not going to hurt mm-hmm. to go to the toilet in a bag. So I was like, I can just literally carry on doing what I'm doing. Because I wasn't getting anywhere. Yeah, so it didn't seem like from that point that lesson was learned. No, when, when, no chance. Was there, was there a... a point blank moment that you suddenly it was like a light switch had gone and you're like what's going on or was it a gradual process of little things a gradual process of big things okay big things we're in christmas mm-hmm. went downstairs and i used to go into like psychosis where i wouldn't remember anything that's happening mm-hmm. i wouldn't know my name 
I wouldn't know anything. It kind of makes sense if you're high all the time. Exactly. And then um, went downstairs and I went, went to go downstairs at like four in the morning again. Mum's like, don't go down there. I was like, what, what happened? And then she was like, you've done something, but just go to bed. We'll sort it. I went into the room, I snapped the Christmas tree, all the bauble, glass baubles are smashed. Like two, three days before Christmas. And then I used to try and fight my dad. Because mm. I didn't know he was my... It's going to sound weird, but he, I didn't know he was my dad. Right. Because I was... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mentally yeah. ruined. Tried to fight him a couple of times. Um, this is going to sound bad, but I used to get out behind the wheel of a car mm-hmm. and half hope that I never came back. Mm-hmm. But I'd always so, come around on my driveway. So was that, was that only in psychosis or was there genuine feelings of um, wanting to not be around anymore? It was a mix of both. So there were genuine feelings I'm not wanting to be around anymore and that's what I struggled with, whether it was because I was in psychosis or not. I'm still trying to figure that one out. Mm-hmm. But there'd been talks I'd had with mum and I've lost a fair few people I know to suicides and mm-hmm. everyone's got their own opinion on them, but I've seen the damage that it causes to families. Yeah. And I never wanted to cause that damage to my family. So, okay, I can't do that to my mum. Mm-hmm. I can't do that to both my brothers. Mm-hmm. I can't do it to my dad. I've got kids. Mm-hmm. can't just see my kid in the world without without me in it so there were so many factors in it that in my head I was too selfish to do it by myself but if it happened behind the wheel of a car when I was high in my head I was like okay it's not really killing myself I just okay. got into a bad but that's exactly but that's exactly what it was mm. that's, that's exactly what it was I look back at it now and in my head I was like okay well I haven't gone out anywhere because I'm still sat in the driveway and then mum mm-hmm. had Life 360 on and showed me where I've been driving Mm-hmm. I don't remember anything. Right. And then, see, all of this is going on, um, and it's nice to have you here on the sofa with me Thank today <laughs> and able to actually talk about it that you really yeah. are. I really do appreciate it. So what what started changing? I half agreed to go to rehab to begin with to make my mum happy. Mm-hmm. That's why I originally agreed to go. What kind of rehab was it? Was it um, sort of you had to uh, not like I don't know I don't know what they call it. Okay, not boarding school isn't the right thing, but was it like a move out into a rehab thing, or was it just go and have discussions? No, it was. So I had I had I had I did have a counselor. I still got Mm -hmm. a counselor, Nancy, for two years, Mm -hmm. and I went through the process of I went through the motions of pretending I was doing all right in counselling. Yeah, which is pretty normal. Yeah, it's normal until you until you really get. Until you actually want to speak about something, then you won't do it. You'll be like, oh, I'm fine. And she's looking at me. She knows that I'm not fine. And then I agreed to go to rehab for mum. And went to look at one place. And they said, okay, well, we don't have anything to get into till the end of August. Mm-hmm. And I said, okay, that's fine. I'll come back then. Okay. Um, that place was six months. It was run by Samaritan. So I would have been, I would have moved in there mm-hmm. um, for that amount of time. And then you could have, chosen to do three months when you come out in like a halfway house and then three months if you wanted to rehabilitate into Reading essentially mm-hmm. um, and then as I'm looking more and more into it I'm like this isn't this isn't the place for me and then because I found myself looking into it I was like well I must want to do it so something must be changing and I'm not trying to find out or like trying to get out of reasons to go because I'm looking at other rehab centres mm-hmm. I found one um, called Primrose Lodge over in Warpleston um, had a look at it it's 28 days instead of 6 months mm-hmm. looked at it and it was more based on the science side of the addiction okay. rather than 
the Samaritan mm-hmm. side of the addictions and both of them run on 12 steps um, but the other one seemed to be more science based and it had good reviews so I went in there instead and that was a difficult conversation to have with mum and dad mm-hmm. went in there I don't want to go to that rehab and they were like what? and I kind of saw their like faces drop and I was like no I just want to go to a different I want to go to a different one mm-hmm. and at that point that was a turning point that was like okay well he must actually want to go you're verbalising you actually you are willing to go I just didn't want yeah. to go somewhere I didn't want to go yeah because I mean at the same time you think about in terms of efficiency if you don't want to be somewhere then you will do everything in your power to not put the effort in to be there so if you can find some sort of middle ground or even a place that you would rather be then you're actually going to put your effort into yeah. the rehab that they, they do yeah and I mean I I went in September last year and for me, I think I went at the right time. Mm-hmm. I think anything before that, I mean, I still came out and did it after rehab mm-hmm. and that's a different story in itself. But actually going in there and spending time in there and kind of being sober itself, not being around anything, was extremely refreshing and the people that I met in there are incredible. Mm-hmm. I've never sat around, so you used to get up at six in the morning, go to bed at 11 at night. Mm-hmm. You'd have stuff through the day. So 6 to 8 would be like breakfast, chill out time. And then 8 to 8.30 would be meditation or reading from a book. And then you'd have 15-minute break. And then for an hour and 45, you'd have conversations between you all. Just how you're feeling today and then a reflection on that. So if someone says they're feeling a certain way, then you can reflect on it and say how you feel. Mm-hmm. And then that would take you up to lunchtime. And then... In the afternoons, you'd have a mix of yoga, like sound bath meditation, which is like, I forgot where it is, but you get all the, you get like gongs and Himalayan bowls out and it's just vibration therapy, sound mm-hmm. vibration therapy. You'd like art therapy, you'd go on a walk on one of the days, and I forgot what you did on a Friday. And then you'd also, that's when you'd do course, coursework, mm-hmm. so step work. So you go and work through the steps there as well. What are the steps? If you, you ask me to label them off the top of my head, I've got no idea. Okay, but kind of what what do they... Do steps they... 1 to 12 is just essentially you acknowledging okay. where your problems are. Right. There's a book, Russell Brand did a book, and it's probably personally one of the only things I like about him. Mm-hmm. But it's his version of recovery. Mm-hmm. But step 1 is, are you fucked? Step 2 is, are you going to unfuck yourself? Step 3 is, how are you going to unfuck yourself? That's the simplest way to put it. Okay. And so just go in there. And you have to acknowledge that you've got a problem. And that's hard enough in itself. Mm-hmm. Set in front of... I can imagine that's very emotional as well. Kind of getting to that point where you admit that there is something wrong yeah, after you've been 100%. denying it for so long. 100%. Yeah. 100%. And when I first went in there, there was a guy called Felix. And he'd been in there... 28 days was the longest stint they did. And he'd been in there a bit longer than that. But the one thing I remember about him is he came up to me within the first five minutes... And spoke to me and just that was it like just come and speak to you take you over to meet everyone and that stuck with me through the whole process mm-hmm. it's like well these people don't know me but they're so willing to be there and help me and he was just another kid like me mm-hmm. same age sort of thing yeah a few years younger oh really a few years younger than me oh. so yeah he's um yeah and then just you just get brought into into the group from there and then before you know it you're sat in a room with eight, nine people you don't know talking about your problems. Mm-hmm. And I thought my problems were solely me. Mm-hmm. So I thought I did things 
that no one else did. And then I'm sat there and I'm listening. I'm like, oh, I do that, I do that, I do that, I do that. And before you know it, you've got something in common with everyone in that room. And that isn't just being common of just being an addict. It's stuff that you do and the lives that you lived and the stuff that you've been through to get to where you're currently sat. Yeah. Um, that was refreshing in itself being there. And then that was kind of a turnaround for me. One, the fact that I wanted to go and two, for the fact that I actually enjoyed my time in there. Mm-hmm. As much as you can enjoy your time in a rehab centre. Of course, yeah. Because obviously it is a lot of hard work mentally so you did you do your 28 day stint straight away yeah did the full 28 days did the full 28 days went in luckily september was quite sunny last year mm-hmm. so i got to sit in the garden for most of it nice um had a gym in there mm-hmm. it wasn't much of a gym I had a cable machine that barely worked mm-hmm. and a row machine and a bike because you couldn't have weights just in case you got into an argument with someone oh, of course yeah yeah and it was that part of the program then like because you said about walking and there's that sort of thing but then there's obviously a lot of the meditation and that sort of thing, I think, is very good for your mind. And yeah. Yeah. Did they did they introduce all walks of life kind of back into the program? Or yeah. Was it just yeah? A, apart from the gym, the, the gym was just optional. Oh, the okay. walk the walk was optional. If you didn't want to go on a walk, mm-hmm. it was fine. Mm-hmm. You only went to a church and you only went to Marystwood Farm. Which of which of the uh, the activities that you kind of did have to do did you kind of gravitate more towards helping you? Them sound baths. Really. They're absolutely incredible. If you haven't had one, go yeah. have one. Yeah. If you lie in there. It just play each bowl's got a different vibration and you're lying in a room you get a blanket and a pillow and the rule mm-hmm. is you just can't fall asleep so okay. you shut your eyes you do stretches yeah and then shut your eyes and then she plays this gong and rubs these bowls it does <laughs> it's sound easy, really nice it's the easiest way to put it and then you're yeah. lying there and your mind just shuts off and then all you hear is like vibrations bouncing off off the walls and That's really cool. then i got woken up not woken up but kind of like you get your foot tapped and come back around i'm like mm-hmm. what is it over already it's been an hour wow been an hour i came out of it and i was like that's incredible mm-hmm. so yeah i had four of them you only got one of them a week would have paid for another one to be <laughs> but um that was probably that was a good part of it the art therapy was all right like i understood the problem i understood the principle of it yeah um just putting drawings and pictures down on scenarios essentially mm-hmm. so the first one was your life a year from now if you carry on Mm-hmm. doing what you're doing your life a year from now if you stop doing what you're doing mm-hmm. and your life x amount of time from now so that's the kind of stuff that it was based on okay so very you, that that's very self-internal and reflective yes which is which is which the whole process is but i mean when you're doing because you've got different kinds of learning if you're doing it verbally in a, and you're talking in a group it's good for kind of people that learn through speech or through listening mm-hmm. the art ones if you learn through like visualization and so forth and doing something tangible mm-hmm. and so it kind of it managed to bring everyone in and some people did get on with the art therapy but i think they were just stubborn okay. stubborn and didn't want to try it and then the meditation as well i used to do that in the mornings but the trouble of doing it in the mornings so you used to fall back asleep yeah i was gonna say sort of sitting there with your eyes closed and you can fairly easily slip into a dream yeah and the meditation was difficult for me at the start like because they play the music to go along with it and like the self-affirmation ones mm-hmm. that's when i was in a really bad trip that's what my mum used to put on to try and calm me down okay so the first few times and bear in mind you did it most mornings in rehab first few times in i'm shutting my eyes it's just bringing back bad memories a bit so learning okay. to learning to shut them out mm-hmm. was difficult but now it's was there any was there a process for that or was it just an immense focus uh i think i stepped it up like three minutes at a time mm-hmm Right, so right, I spoke to, I spoke to them in there and said, I know you want me to do it, mm-hmm. and I will do it, but 
just a gradual process building up to it and explain the reasons and they were fine with it did you have to did you were you still on Ritalin through this process or did you come off that as well yeah came off that uh, I was on Ritalin through it because okay. I couldn't concentrate if I was doing the coursework yeah that's what I was going to say um, I came off my antidepressants through it and I haven't taken them since nice so I kind of just use it as a thing to get off off everything first rehab I wanted to go to wouldn't let me take in the medication anyway because okay. it's can show false positive on a drug test on the meth right but this one wasn't too weren't too fussed with it mm-hmm. um but yeah that was all kept in a drug cabinet so they'd come around to me and if i didn't want to take it that morning and i said no they'd be fine with it that's cool they kind of they respected what they respected what you wanted to do and mm-hmm. el- not all of the therapists in there all of the therapists bar one were uh in recovery really yeah so they so you're talking about these problems to them and they're understanding it. Because mm-hmm. if I were to talk to anyone else about a problem, you'd look at me and be like, what, what'd you do that for? Like, you don't understand the level of mental that that I and other people in there went through. So I, I used to go get a big bag of whatever I was getting, and they spit it up into eight, nine, ten different bags, mm-hmm. and just hide it around my room. And then if one got taken away, I'd have another one. Mm-hmm. I'd have another one, I'd have another one. And then even when I came out of rehab, I was finding them. Mm-hmm. Obviously, you find it in front of you. You're like, oh, even though mum cleaned out the room, there's still some. I was going to ask what. So you finish rehab. I imagine after the 28 days, like you said, you're feeling refreshed. Yeah. But then you go back to the same room and you're finding stuff. What What happens then? Are you still trying to do the same meditation process, the same sort of therapy, well, or when you're in there, you come up with a plan of when you leave, mm-hmm. and the plan of when you leave looks very similar and very black and white to what we were doing in there. And it looks like a school timetable because mm-hmm. that's they want to know you've got a plan for when you leave yeah so you look at it and you're like okay well wednesday i'm gonna go on a dog walk at 11 mm-hmm. and i'm like well what if i don't want to go on a dog walk at 11 i didn't really have time to first two weeks are okay first mm-hmm. three weeks are okay four weeks start kind of getting a bit difficult because it was so easy for me to slip back to the old routine and mm-hmm. when you're in there you don't have a choice mm-hmm. to not use not do anything because you can't yeah when you come out and then things start to creep back in. So say you've got, let's say five things I've got to do. So say I do meditation, gratitude list, mindful activity, go to a meeting and do a self-reflection hour or read part of a book. Mm-hmm. As soon as I don't do one of them one days, um, there's only four steps away from me using. If I drop two of them, it's three steps. If I, and then when I've dropped all five, I don't have anything to fall back to before mm-hmm. I was just like, I'll just go get it. Mm-hmm. And that was difficult to to grasp as well. So I was like, why did I do it? And then I did it and I was like, okay, well, no one really noticed that I did it. Right. So I'll do it again mm-hmm. again. And again, I wasn't using it anywhere near as much as what I was. It'd be like every few days. Mm-hmm. be less amount, but only by half. I still doing three and a half grams a day. Mm-hmm. And then it got to 10th of January. It was the last day I did it. And I was like, I got caught. I got caught to sort out stuff with the kids, so I stopped from that point on. Nice. Well, congr- uh, congratulations. I haven't touched it since. Cheers. There's a lot. That's, um, that's very impressive from the sort of depths of what you were involved in. Yeah. Um, what I did, what I, I kind of, you sort of showed is rehab's, rehab's really great, and you said, you know, it'll only really work if you want to be there. Yeah. And the, one of the things that has always concerned me, obviously I've had an outside perspective of things, I've had certain family members go into similar things for yeah. very different reasons. 
um and it's very the it's like you said when you're there it's very refreshing because you're doing all of these things that not only act as a distraction but kind of restraining the way your thought processes are the problem is that you are held there's an accountability yeah. they take on by having the structure and having those things in place but when you obviously step out the reason that they want you to have a plan is to hopefully that you can hold yourself accountable to that but there's not kind of when you step away from those things you said you still have a counselor yeah but it's it's difficult when you are in kind of by yourself again to hold yourself accountable and, and very much on this the completely this is this is very difficult to compare but i'll try anyway give a shot with uh with someone um so some of the people that I know that, that train for sport and that sort of thing, and, and even for those people that, you know, they get the other side of Christmas and go, oh, I'm going to start running and I'm going to run three times a week. And it gets to that third day of the week or even the second day that you're supposed to run and it's cold, it's wet, it's miserable. And you don't, and you don't do it that day because you tell yourself to do it the next day. And then you don't do it the next day. And then it comes to the third run day that you should have done. And you go, well, I didn't do the second day. So I'll just start again on Monday exactly it. and so you end up slipping down that way and i can see that on a much more severe scale that that's probably what was effectively happening exactly it was, the, it was the opposite so where there is the lack of the running on one day the lack of the running on the other and then getting to the third is use one day okay well i used yesterday like mm-hmm. the month i've just done is gone there's no point in saving a day so use the next day mm-hmm. before you know you're three days in so how so you tackled that purely from the fact that things got serious with you know your kid in the court or was it no no, not even that it got serious to the kid in the court. Just like, I didn't want to continue doing it. Okay. I just didn't like it. So how did you take back the um, accountability? Or was it just the fact that you were suddenly like, I don't like doing this anymore? I'm not Something switched. Something switched. Something switched. And I was like, I don't want to creep around anymore. I don't want my family to go back to hating me. Mm-hmm. I just want to get on with my life. I don't enjoy sat around or being sat around all day. One thing that I'm now really excited to talk to you about is because you're kind of... Um, on the other side you've decided that you don't like this thing anymore yeah. and it how has it felt coming away from that to i mean we're in what set uh, october now october now so it's 10 months what has your progression been like again with your relationship with yourself but also the relationship with people around you relationship with myself i learned to love myself a lot more mm-hmm. whereas previously i get told on how i was feeling a lot like you you should you shouldn't feel like that you shouldn't feel like that mm-hmm. whereas I was like, okay, but I do feel like that. And learning that I am going to have bad days, but it doesn't mean my life's bad. Mm-hmm. That was a very difficult one to cope with because if you have three, four bad days in a row, you're like, oh, my life's terrible. Mm-hmm. And it's hard to pick out of that rut, but it's just like, okay, well, just got to go back to basics, make sure everything's working okay. And then my relationship with myself and my relationship with everyone around me kind of pulled one another along. Because mm-hmm. where I wouldn't spend much time with my two brothers... I'm now starting to spend time with them. I'm starting to play golf with them. Mm-hmm. And so it's like, okay, well, I'm enjoying what I do with them. And then the more I'm gaining, the more I've got to lose at the same time. So if I go back to it, I see, yeah. I'm not going to have the same relationship with my brothers that I've managed to build back up over these 10 months. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll be able to build up the relationship with my mum and dad again. Like, they, both of them could never leave the house at the same time because there'd always have to be one person looking after me. So, yeah. I took their freedom away from what they should be doing as adults. Mm-hmm. Like, if they both want to go to the shop together, I'm the one that was stopping it. Yeah. Because one person's got to be on the looking after me to make sure I either don't leave the house to go and get it or to make sure I don't die. Mm-hmm. And so, my relationship with myself and 
especially my families and I wouldn't even say everyone around me because until I met until I met Ellie I didn't really the only person I really saw quite a lot was Tom Gash mm-hmm. and Dylan and Amy occasionally and just for people listening these are people from school yeah these are people, <laughs> people from school and he's a person that's always been he's always been by me like and he's where I couldn't really talk to I felt like I say I couldn't really talk where I felt like I couldn't talk to him about mental health battles like I could just talk to him about it mm-hmm. and he'd come out and yeah we'd go down the pub and we'd go play pool down the pub but I've ditched a lot of other people to be able to get to where I am and that's, mm-hmm. diff- that's difficult in itself mm-hmm. having to leave behind the friends that you've made when since you were 12 yeah essentially especially all the school friends mm-hmm. whereas they're all now up in London mm-hmm obviously doing what they're doing and they're, they're they're enjoying what they're doing they're going to festivals and everything but mm-hmm. and I know I can't do that mm-hmm. so I've had to steer away from everything and focus on what I can and can't do and then that's been a massive learning curve and for me that was extremely difficult to grasp so a lot I lost a lot kind of a bit of a relationship with myself there as well because I felt like I couldn't do certain things mm-hmm. but I knew I couldn't do them at the same time mm-hmm. so where I was like I wish I was doing that I've now stopped wishing I was doing that because in my head it's not fun yeah and i think um one thing that it sounds like you're doing is you're starting to replace those things with other things you didn't necessarily do before i went pottery painting the other week pottery painting yeah it's wicked i love pottery painting it's wicked i went to a place down in brighton what did you do a bowl or a mug or what i did a beaker a beaker yeah i did a little handleless beaker now I... if you asked me two years ago yeah if you see me pottery paint no chance no chance no chance. Yeah, and it's just finding different activities that uh, kind of give you some some level of satisfaction. And, yeah, because uh, you said you said as well, and when we were we were talking about um, having a discussion earlier this year, you mentioned how you'd got back into football. Yeah. Um, and you know, I don't know if you want to talk a little bit more about what you what you're up to football. And now you said golf as well. Yeah. So I probably play golf more than. No, I play football every week. I try and play golf a bit more in the summer. Mm-hmm. Um, but golf for me is like a bonding thing that I can go do with both my brothers. Mm-hmm. Whereas football, I played with Jamie. I didn't really do anything with Connor. Mm-hmm. Apart from now I work with him, so I spend nearly every day with him. Mm-hmm. But relationship with football came back because I was just fed up. I felt like I put on... I've always had a problem with my body image. Mm-hmm. Not for the fact of just like I've ever been extremely overweight or I was more severely underweight. Right. But it got to a stage of a few years ago where I was bigger than I had been previously. Mm-hmm. It wasn't me saying I'm overweight at all, but I was bigger than I previously. And I looked at myself and I was like, okay, I'm not happy with it. And I was like, I don't really want to go to the gym. Mm-hmm. I was like, I don't want to start fresh in the gym. So I was like, I'll just go play football again. Mm-hmm. Started playing with them. And I tell you what, after not playing for sport for six years, it was the most, one of the most difficult things I've ever done is learning to play, not play football again. Like that never left, but the fitness behind it was so difficult to pick back up. I remember being on the pitch like five minutes in and I, I could barely, I could barely carry on. And then you started to fall, started to fall back in love with it in the sense of, I like playing it. Then went on to playing five and six aside with more school friends. Mm-hmm. Um, and then that built my fitness up a lot better than playing 11 aside. Okay. Cause it was like, the six aside for me, to put it fitness wise is like an interval it's inter- it, it it's is. interval yeah, training yeah, yeah. definitely is. whereas you're doing short sprints whereas on a level side pitch if I was playing in the middle then it's a lot of running constant yeah. 
constant, but six aside is sprint, stop, sprint, stop. Yeah. 40 minutes, flat out, don't stop. Plus, I think in, in, in 11 aside, as much as you know it is free-flowing, when the ball goes out of play, if you're playing in midfield, then you can you can take your time getting up for the corner. Well, the yeah. corner gets set up, you can kind of get your breath back. But in six aside, it's, it's like sure. all go. Yeah, the ball stop. doesn't go out of play. The Elsa ball. Yeah, it's, yeah, it goes out for all about 10 seconds and it comes straight back in. Exactly. And then so that that picked up my fitness and then like I said I've never really been fussed with how I look body wise because I'm just comfortable mm -hmm. but and then I started to get back down to the weight that I wanted and I was like okay well I actually enjoy playing football so carried on with it and I enjoy playing six aside more than eleven aside so which is why I've carried on carried on with it one it's in the evenings like some of our games are at twenty past nine it's late it's late but when you're sat there and you've come back from work and you're feeling a bit lazy knowing you've got to get up and go play mm -hmm. football something about that that I kind of like mm -hmm. like the drive over there half an hour over to Guildford I'm like oh I don't want to do this and then I get there and put the boots on I'm like okay well I'm here now yeah yeah and then that's how I sometimes end up playing three games so I'll go there at 20 past 7 play one game and then I'll play the 8 o'clock game and then I'll play the 8.40 game is and that all in the same group or are you just mixing teams Mixing teams. Mm -hmm. Mixing teams. So one of them I play with the year belows. Then the other one I played with Scott Spence and his team. And then they asked me to come play. Another team asked me to come play. Mm -hmm. Just be a ringer because they didn't have, they only had five players. Yeah. And so I said, yeah. By the time I finished the third game, my mates I played the first game with were walking out of the pub. Oh, yeah. And they were like, did you play three? I was like, yeah. Yeah. But I, once I'm there and into it, I don't particularly want to stop doing it. Mm-hmm. I could go there and play most of them. Yeah, yeah. Because I like what it puts me through more mentally. Mm -hmm. It's like going on a run because you went on one the other day. Yeah, I went on a bit of that was that a bit of a silly run. Well, it's a similar thing to what you said. So I I, I used to run a lot as a kid. I used to do cross country um, at school, and uh, I never really used to enjoy it. I used to do it. I used to not be bad at it, and that's kind of my approach. Is like I'll do it because I'm not awful at it. But it, I then sort of more, in more recent years, I did a lot of gym stuff. It was very specific to the sport I was playing. And then I stopped playing the sport and kind of was going to the gym because it kept me sane. But at the same time, I didn't want to train like a bodybuilder because I didn't want to be a bodybuilder. It's not, there's nothing wrong with it, but it's just not what I wanted to do. Or that physique. Yeah. And so it was like, I, I did have issues being a, a taller guy. It's very difficult to not look really skinny. And so I did, I did want to focus on that. I didn't want to look skinny. I didn't want to look lanky for my personal reasons. And um, so the bodybuilding split was, like, was what I was kind of doing. And then I don't know what happened. I just sort of realized that fitness wise, I just, I was starting to be happy with how I looked, but there was some relative insecurity in knowing that if for God knows whatever reason, someone picked up the phone and my car didn't work, I could run somewhere purely off maybe mental strength and getting there, but it wouldn't be fast. Yeah. And my cardio realistically, I could probably lie about it and say, yeah, no, I could run that distance in this time, but there was no evidence behind it. And so I, I basically, there's, I went traveling. Uh, I was unable to go to the gym that consistently. I lost a lot of weight, lost a lot of muscle and started exploring doing different things. I was doing a lot of hikes up, volcanoes it was amazing classic gap year bullshit um, two years on though yeah yeah but then I, I ended up doing some muay thai stuff out there and it was just it was very interesting and 
coming back, it was like a, a fresh slate. I could fall back into the same routine I was doing beforehand, yeah. which I wasn't really enjoying, or I could approach this more hybrid style of training, which just makes me all around more healthy. And the the training that I do now is I go to the gym sort of four times a week, maybe maybe five if I'm really bored with the extra day. <laughs> yeah. But um, and then I'll run two days a week. Okay. And that's kind of what I'm moving into now because the running. Uh, gives me something different to do it gives me still a rest from being in the gym um but what i find now and one of the reasons i've started to like running is that because having got back to it but like you said with the with the football it's very very difficult cardio wise when you haven't got it it sucks (laughs) that's what Um, i asked and so it ends up most of my run becomes a fight internally mental completely mental yeah and with some of the other stuff that I've had going on in my life um, around things, I've had some pretty awful news. A member of my family that's quite close that's been diagnosed with cancer. Um, we've had issues trying to come back here and move somewhere with dodgy yeah. landlords, everyone that's familiar with moving somewhere in London. It's not great. Uh, but th- there's a few other other little things that have been going on. And um, it was just, everything was just really shit. And so I was like, do you know what? I'm going to start running but I'm going to test myself. I'm not going to just go and do a distance. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to run this and I'm going to run it as slow as I like. And as long as I do the run, I'll feel better. And then when I got in that run and those, those two sides of my brain that started talking to each other, started fighting it out about trying to stop and not stopping. And so in the video that I put up on like TikTok and Instagram, it was, uh, I ran to this roundabout and the whole pre-plan was to turn around at the roundabout and come back. And that's when I'd feel good about myself. So you kept going. And I got to the roundabout and I was like, nah, this, uh, the, this fight needs to carry on. Yeah. Like, I need to beat this other voice that's in there telling me to like give up and stuff. And so that's what happened. I ended up carrying on for, you know, like nearly twice as long as I was originally meant to. And I got back and I was absolutely fucking knackered. And the next day, oh, I struggled to walk, like all yeah. of that. It was, it was, but at the same time, the sort of relief mentally in that I had, kind of got back to who I was in being sort of mental strength. Like I, I was in, con- I was in control. Um, and so even now I'm not doing the runs at that length. I want to gradually build up to maybe doing those, but now it's more about holding myself accountable. And again, when I'm in it and I'm doing it, I'm actually getting something out of it. Yeah, correct. Whereas when I, again, that kind of build up to it, I don't want to do this. I don't want to do this. And as soon as I make it past the top of my road, which is usually where I start running from. So it's downhill. I'm doing it. Well, yeah, it does help that the start's downhill, but it sucks because <laughs> it ends uphill. Yeah. Um, but as soon as I start moving and I'm a few paces in, then I know at least for the next two to three kilometers, no part of me is going to say, okay, you might as well stop now. It's, it's after three and I'm approaching five is where everything in my body starts to go, look, this is respectable. You can stop now. Yeah. You can do this. And so I do miss team sport for that reason in terms of you're doing all of that movement, but there's the distraction and there's the enjoyment of like, you might score a goal, you might make a beautiful pass, you might have a ridiculous touch with the ball and it gets everyone going. And then just having that sort of camaraderie of your teammates around you. And so I do think when I can find somewhere to live and settle, then even if it is running, I know loads of people do like park runs and stuff in groups. I don't know. I don't know if I'd do that, but I'll explore it. Um, I couldn't run by myself. No, I can't run by myself because it's a mental battle for me as well. Mm-hmm. But my mental battle is why? Like, why am I doing this? It's not oh, like, yeah, like I can't do it. It's just I'm just out. Like, I don't. I come out here to do a run. Mm-hmm. It's like, but why am I doing that run? Mm-hmm. And then when we used to do the training for football, we used to go there, 
and they're like, okay, we're going to go run a 5K. I'm like, whenever I've tried to run a 5K, I've given up after like two. It's yeah. not that I can't do it, it's just I won't do it. It's different. Yeah, yeah. But then because you're running with a group of people, like 11 players, mm-hmm. and you're talking to them, before you know it, the 5K is over. Yeah. Like, well, it's not hard, is it? Yeah. But I can't, I don't have the mental strength for that kind of thing to go out and go on a run by myself. Yeah. Anymore. Mm-hmm. Whereas now, on a football pitch, I don't really have a choice. Yeah. Like, you're going to run. Yeah. Like you said, score a goal, or you're going to go run to stop a goal happening, and it's just constant moving. I've probably covered this, on over like, two games six side, I've probably covered the same amount of distance, mm-hmm. depending on where I play, that I would on a 5k. Yeah. Because, I, 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 like I said, I kind of want to get back into some sport for the enjoyment of it. But then, right now, um, it's weird. I, self-harm is completely the wrong word completely wrong word self-harm has got very very different connotations but if i'm if i'm going through a really shit time and i feel like my brain is telling me to do things that i shouldn't be doing or like i'm beating myself up over the fact that i'm not doing things that i said i'd be doing yeah i will forcibly take myself out on a run to put myself in my place it's not so much to be like fit it's to be like you're like whatever side of me is telling me oh don't bother doing it. Like, I'm supposed to go on a run after this. A mental discipline. This, I was supposed to go on a run before this. And then I was like, I'll do it after the podcast. But I will do that because everything that told me not to do it this morning needs to be put in place. Yeah. And it's all, it's it's for me, it's the discipline. Because if I, a bit like when you came out of rehab, if, if one thing starts to slip, uh, everything else in my life will start to slip. My commitment and my focus at work will start to slip because I'll be less happy with who I am purely because I didn't go on a run. Yeah, and it, it's crazy how quickly that goes down. It's crazy how one thing can change your outlook on something. Say you miss something out of your routine or something that you say you're going to do and you don't do it. It's crazy how that can affect your mood, mm. your mental health, or the activity you're meant to be doing even later on in that day mm. because you're like, oh, I didn't do that. I didn't. Yeah, do that. and that's that's kind of again a, a lot of the foundation behind this podcast is that everyone knows that you know fitness makes you feel good, gives you the serotonin, all of that, but there's a completely different side to it. Um, and I want to talk about that. And I, I like talking about the positives of it. So you obviously said that you feel so much better when you're doing the sport as well. It's that escape and everything like that. And interestingly, golf for me, I played golf when I was, when I was younger. Yeah. And uh, through COVID golf was one of the only things that you could really do. Correct. Um, and so, so getting out and about, there's a few things I love about it. Usually every golf course has got the worst signal and I know for like my girlfriend and I, I know other mates' girlfriends usually tend to complain, I'll go out and play 18 holes and you might, if you're lucky, get one text back in four hours. Yeah, a voice note. Yeah, something like yeah, that. Yeah, a voice note occasionally. Yeah, or, or like she'll hate it because the only text she'll get sometimes is like, I made a birdie and I won't say anything <laughs> else. I won't have replied to any messages. But for that reason, I'm not on my phone. And if I'm playing with mates, it's it's uh it's just an opportunity to share things and and those conversations on the golf courses are some of the most ridiculous conversations I've had. But at the same time, there's some some of them are the most like um, deep conversations I've had. It's a weird one. It's a it is a weird one because one minute you'd be talking about something that's not relevant to anything at all and mm. just having a laugh and a joke, and before you know it, um, I can't say what I was talking about, but I was talking to someone and he just let everything out to me. Mm-hmm. I was like, how have we come about this? And yeah. Then, start to talk about it and before you know it you've spoken about it over I don't know let's say three four holes and you've been talking about it half an hour yeah and and one thing that's really interesting which I've only really just thought of is um, you know neither of us on the PGA Tour so no. 
let's let's just be honest we're both probably not very good at golf and with that uh you'll go into a golf round thinking you know you are good at golf and it puts you in your place <laughs> and dealing with dealing with that in itself is a challenge but then when you are playing with other people you you also have to pick your other friends up because there'll be times where your friends spiral through a few holes oh, of like losing golf balls 100 percent, maybe snapping the occasional club or throwing one at least yeah and uh trying to trying to help them out of that little hole and it's there's so much that goes on on that golf course and as soon as you shake hands on the 18th green that's yeah it's, done. That's it. it's done. all locked away and you're in you're in a most beautiful one of the most beautiful places around and if you time it with a sunset as well it's, oh, it's yeah the Clandon one on a sunset's nice yeah yeah looking over at london that sort of thing the views are really nice yeah it's just... downs one's nice in the sunset as well but it's one of the golf is one of the most humbling things yeah it really is because you're you're hit a shot and the next one will just go four foot and you're like i thought i was getting good at mm-hmm. this and then it's the same most holes like you said you go on a bit of a spiral i played a course with i'll say it, i played a course with my brother mm-hmm. we had to leave after nine because he got so angry at it yeah 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 He's like, oh, just go and I've done that. I, like, I, yeah, I used to play with a couple of friends at school, and this was, this was I blame, I'm going to blame it on PBD. Uh, oh, I could not handle not being good at Sundays. Really? Like, I would throw clubs. I would actively shout at him because neither of us could play good at the same time. One of us would be playing great, and the other one would be playing so bla- like so bad. And as a result of that, if you were the one playing great, there was some kind of satisfaction about it. You would kind of take the piss out of the other person, which just sent them down. But then it would suddenly flip. And it would be the worst thing. And so I remember there'd be times where we'd be like aiming to play 18 and we'd just walk off at 12. Yeah. Done. Yeah, it flips on a hole. Yeah. So you can have a good six holes. And before you know it, you've had a bad six holes and he's had a good six. You're sat there, you're like, oh. And this, this might sound completely over-spiritual, over-spiritualized. But the thing that I, I do find with sport is sometimes it can be a complete metaphor for life. Because it, like with things like that, you could have a series of, good holes or good days in life and then suddenly one shit thing can happen and you do like you said earlier if I have one shit hole I'll be like oh I'm actually quite shit at golf yeah this round's ruined this round's ruined if I have a series of them I'm like I want to give up yeah and it's kind of it, I feel like it must be doing something to your brain and getting through that I reckon so because then, you, then you get to like I don't know the 15th there's a mm. par 3 and you stick it I'm not good so stick it 15 yards out yeah, but to still, you that's good. Yeah, exactly. And so if you've had a bad six holes leading up to that, and you get to that stage, you're like, oh, this and, it is, it is going to get better. And and one thing as well is that you you tend to remember the good bits from from golf. I mean, unless there's a really hilarious bad bit, <laughs> you, you tend to you tend to remember the best bits. And I think that's also another thing that's really important is in in life. A lot of the time, people focus on the negative side of things. And if Most can, of the time, if you can focus on you know how far you've come in something, and especially you where you've got to now. Focusing on sort of those relationships that you've now built up, the fact that you've given your parents back some freedom, and you've now got into a job that, by the sounds of it, you're actively really enjoying doing, yeah. um, is is totally different. And focusing on that in comparison to some of the the history is is really important. Ladies and gentlemen, apologies for the interruption. Josh and I are about to discuss some really good advice on mental health and what you can do to replenish your mental health. Before we do that, I feel it would only be right to mention Movember, seeing as this episode is being released in the month of November. Movember, if you're not aware, is a cause that supports men's mental health, prostate cancer and testicular cancer. Every year in the UK, more than 4,300 men take their own life as a result of poor mental health. You can support the fund by either donating to someone that is already currently involved in Movember, 
you yourself can also raise funds by growing out a dirty moustache on your upper lip, or you can actually just be active and set active goals, achieve them, and ask people to sponsor you in the process. If you'd like to know more, please check it out on the movember.co.uk website. Thank you very much. And back over to myself and Josh to discuss further advice on mental health. All of, I say not all of, because obviously money is a problem, but most of my problems can be solved by just talking it through with someone. Mm-hmm. I've never did it previously. You know, I don't think, unfortunately, as guys, we never got taught to do it. Yeah. Like, when I used to speak to people and be like, oh, can I have a chat? And they'd be like, oh, yeah, come down the pub and have a pint. Or I'm having a bad day. Come yeah. down the pub, have a pint, it'll fix it. That's not it. If someone asks to talk to you, just hear them out for a bit. I'm very fortunate, fortunate enough to be in a relationship now where I can talk to Ellie mm-hmm. and she'll either sit there and come back with solutions to my problems or sometimes she'll turn around and say, do you want me to just listen to you yeah, and hear that, you out? That's a very important thing sometimes. And that's, and that's massive. Just a, I'm, I'm just letting you offload or do you actually yeah, need to tell back? And that's massive. And being able to have that question put forward to you, it's like, mm-hmm. well, maybe I just need to let it out. Mm-hmm. So it's just talk. If someone wants to let something out to you, let them do it. Mm-hmm. It's the easy, it's, it takes no weight off your back doing it. Just hear them out because that might be the end of it. Have you got a, a way that you, if you're speaking to someone that isn't Ellie, let's say, um, have you got a way that you ask? Because I know that some people might be really difficult, might find a lot of uh, challenges in actually putting together the right way to ask someone. I feel like if you're out and about, it's going to be harder to do, but it's still possible because I do it with Tom. Mm-hmm. I do it with our school friend. But when he asks, it's going to sound so simple, but when he asks me, he said, how are you? I'm just truthful. Yeah. I'm just truthful behind it. I'm just like, no, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not good today. Yeah. I'm not feeling the best today. And then go into why I'm not feeling the best. Kind of forced upon him. Mm-hmm. Well, he's forced, not forced to listen, but yeah. like he may not want to give advice, but, I mean, if it's something you feel is quite serious, there is help out there that you can go and get mm-hmm. um, and speak to a professional on, on that part. Yeah, It's probably the only thing to do. And if you've got the right friends around you, they'll always listen. Mm-hmm. I think that's really important is, you know, if you're friends with someone and you're hanging out with someone, um, chances are that person has also chosen to be there with you and they wouldn't have done that if they wouldn't happily at least listen to you exactly like sometimes all you do need like you said is someone to sit there and listen you don't, yeah. you don't necessarily and getting that out of you can be the first step in the next process and once that step's done you can always go back and revisit that step with the same person yeah it's getting over the first hurdle of talking to someone mm-hmm. and then nine times out of ten that person's going to check in on you again yeah and and like you said it's absolutely okay I've I've had it with a, a couple of friends before that have literally said to me I don't want your help I don't want you to talk to anyone else about this I just need you to listen yeah and as a friend if someone says that to me boundary set no problem Stop. what I don't want to do is then and from my understanding from that I'm not going to try and help you out with unsolicited advice or anything like that I will just listen to you and is if you ask for help I will help if you don't I'm just that's a set fine. of ears. yeah that's okay I think that's that's um extremely important and obviously like you said guys we generally there's there's not a lot of history in in sharing and i think that that is changing but even for um some girls out there it can be difficult um as well and like 
girls tend there's this sort of stereotype of girls find it easier to share with each other there they can be a lot more invested in each other's lives but it's not always true no um and guys may also have some sort of aversion to asking a girl to just sit and listen but quite often having a very different mentality listen to what you've got going on can be incredibly beneficial correct and i mean my friends from when i was younger i'd always have a better conversation about what's going on with me especially the time i was going through through everything with dexter not being able to see him Mm -hmm. the person i spoke to then was it was a friend from school it was a girl Mm -hmm. because i had a better conversation with her Mm -hmm. and she was more understanding of the whole situation Mm -hmm. than anyone else i could have spoken to Mm -hmm. because my friends at the time couldn't do that for me yeah that's not me saying that they're not there for me, but they couldn't give me the response that I needed, mm-hmm. which wasn't come up apart. Yeah. I think um, one thing I really want to, well, first of all, I want to say a massive thank you for you. Thank you for you joining me and going through everything. That's, um, it's huge because it, it's huge to a point where you, both of us might not realize it right now. This could be the sort of thing that will be online and someone might pick it up five years from now and it might give them um exactly what they needed to hear at that time and i think in your position you probably won't appreciate what you have gone through and what you are able to see in other people and uh even though even though you know struggles took still continue and you're you're going through things yourself still the fact that you're kind of able to understand the way you feel more and you're able to deal with it more and you found a fantastic partner as well who is actually in the room by the way it's very difficult not to make eye contact because we're supposed to be pretending that it's only you guys in the room um it's very very valuable and you you have an unbelievable amount of power in what you've been through thank you um and honestly speaking to you today has been really really enjoyable i I love doing this i love learning about people's different life stories and backstory and what they're going through now and that sort of thing and I can honestly say you are a lovely human being and it has been a pleasure to have you here Thank and you have you join me um, and, and share as, as much as you have. If anything you know, happens in the future, if there's anything more you, you want to add at some point, then feel free to uh, let me know. But we'll obviously stay in contact. I've also just added uh, another person to the list of people I can play golf with. You've, yeah, you have absolutely fantastic, and it's good to know that you already play Clandon. So um, yeah, I a lot. Come down and join there. A lot. Um, but yeah, one thing I like to do just for a quick wrap up is there anything or any person you want to plug? Obviously, you're doing me a massive favor coming on here. Um, is there anything, whether it's your socials, some people like to stay private, but is there anything you want to plug? Maybe even your business. My business works mainly off not what other people do, is straight to contractors. Okay, I keep my socials private. Yeah. I keep it quite... I mean, one more thing. I posted a photo of you, my girlfriend, and myself. Like, the first time on a story the other day, it's the first time I've posted anything in two years. Mm-hmm. So I keep that stuff private. But if you do want to follow me, you can tag it. And then if anyone does have any troubles or is going through something, they can feel free to message me and I'll help mm-hmm. them. And That's massive. In any way they can. That's massive. I, or any way I can, sorry. I, I do find, as well, sometimes it's easier to talk to someone that you, you don't, don't know. Because it doesn't burden them. Yeah. And, and you don't have to face that person in the future. If it, if things end up coming to nothing and you've overshared with someone, then that can also be quite scary. But, you know, someone that doesn't necessarily know anything about you, is non-judgmental, has been through it before, is, is often easier. So I thank you for that. That's okay. That's huge. 
Um, for anyone listening, whether this is the first one or not, there's there's other episodes that you can go ahead and listen to. Um, more content coming out on Instagram, TikTok, stuff like that, related to both mental health and physical health. Um, so feel free to follow those. It's at mindsets underscore podcast. Um, and yeah, feel free to subscribe to the Spotify and all the other streaming sites. Obviously on YouTube as well. So if you're listening to this and you think it would just be lovely to see what myself and Josh look like uh, as we talk, um, I'm obviously not really well dressed for the occasion. No, um, you can watch me being all good. Yeah, you can watch this on YouTube. Um, and yeah, feel free to subscribe there as well. But uh, we'll see you in the next episode. Take care, everybody. And thank you very much again. Thanks for having me. Nice one.